0: Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
1: Roads? Where we're going,
0: we don't need
1: roads. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending. The only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And how are you doing today, Phil? It's uh, all good here. I'm enjoying life. How are you? About the same, actually. No complaints at the moment. Yeah. So before we jump into our films tonight, Phil, I wanted to just sort of throw out a mention for our listeners. As you guys know, we really appreciate everybody who listens to the show. We really appreciate anybody who tells their friends about the show. And what we would love is if you could take, you know, just a minute out of your time and leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. And, you know, the reason we ask for that is simply it's a really huge help for a small, you know, newer podcast like us. We are we are growing and uh, we're all excited about that. but getting a review up on itunes is uh, is a really big help so we just thought if you guys want to take some time even while you're listening to the show swing on over there type in a few words and uh leave us a five-star rating we would appreciate it do it do it do it now <laughs> i like phil you're like my hype man yeah you know in the in the rap world yeah. they uh they have their hype man you're like my hype man. You know, i give the i give the impassioned plea and you're like do it yeah uh, do it do, now. it do it right now all right so what films are we going to be discussing today, Phil? Today, Mike, I feel the need, the need for
0: speed. That's right, we're doing Top Gun. But first of all, we'll be doing Fred Decker's classic,
1: The Monster Squad. Two great films, uh, very different, but, but both well-loved films. I have a feeling a few more people have probably seen Top Gun. Uh, so of course, we're going to start with The Monster Squad. <laughs> we're going to keep you all in suspense yes. for a little bit. So The Monster Squad,
0: 1987, written by Shane Black and Fred Decker. Shane Black you'll know from the film Predator and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 but it was Fred Decker who did Night of the Creeps and also directed this one and it features lots of the Universal Monsters So the Monster Squad, they're a group of kids who love monsters and monster movies There's Sean and his sister Phoebe Uh, Patrick and a few others they end up coming across a diary that's written by Van Helsing you know the guy but they need someone who reads German to translate it luckily there's an old creepy German dude who lives in the area and they eventually strike up the coach to talk to him and he he reads the book uh, it helps him translate it and tells them that he has some experience with monsters. We're then shown the concentration camp tattoo number.
1: You know, can I just say it's not every day you get to utter the phrase, luckily, there's an old creepy German guy that lives in the neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so you never know when you're going to need one. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. They're they're handy to keep around if you can. Especially when you've
0: got like a, a German diary. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah. He's got some experience with monsters, and we see that he's had the concentration camp number tattooed onto his arm. After reading the diary, they find out that there's an ancient amulet which is made of pure good, but is uh, vulnerable to destruction one day out of every century. And wouldn't you know it, that day is heading fast. It can also be used to send monsters into limbo. That means that the monsters are real, ladies and gentlemen. And so we have Count Dracula, who wants to destroy the amulet. He he assembles a team. Not the A-team, no, this is a team of monsters, which includes the Mummy... Gilman, Wolfman, and Frankenstein's monster, who's played by the always brilliant Tom Noonan. But Frankenstein's monster, as is often shown, he doesn't really fancy the gig, and he walks off into the woods where he meets Phoebe, uh, the young sister of uh, the Monster Squad's leader, Sean. And as with lots of Frankenstein stories, the monster and the, the young girl strike it off, but this time he doesn't pick up and throw in a river.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a yeah. slightly happier <laughs> yeah. twist. There. This,
0: this one's is quite a nice Frankenstein's monster. Yep. So the monsters, led by Dracula, they unearth the amulet, but it's protected by various wards and spells so they can't get near it. So after a bit of a fight, the monster squad get hold of it and they find the incantation must be read by a female virgin. That means the uh, the young sister, Phoebe, is the one who's got to read the book. So midnight approaches, the squad heads to the cathedral to banish the monsters. Battle commences, various shenanigans happen. They find out the wolfman's got nards, They kill a load of the different creatures, but Dracula, the uh, Lord of the Undead, he grabs hold of Phoebe and is about to kill her when Frankenstein's monster appears, picks him up and then pales Dracula on a wrought iron fence. Phoebe manages to finish the spell, and the monsters, sadly including Frankenstein's monster, are pulled into the portal, which closes. The army turn up because one of the monster squad had sent a letter asking for the help, uh, but they're too late as the monster squad have saved the day. The end. It's a great film. I've barely, I've just gone through the basic plot because there's lots of good bits in. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's got some great monster effects and it's uh, some lots of humor as well. Good one to watch with the kids.
1: It's really a uh, just an amazing film. You know, it's one of those ones. It's sort of like if the Goonies had kind of a younger cousin. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that kind of... It's very endearing. It's it's a fun group of kids. You know, it's this kids versus monsters. I think it's something that every person who's been a kid can relate to. They've probably played that game in their mind yeah. on the playground. And, you know, it's just a lot of funny moments. And it's just... I think most people who have seen the film really love it and have a special place in their hearts for it. So Yeah, I need, I need
0: to I need to sit down with Hannah and, and let her watch it as well because I think she'd enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure she would. Yeah. Alrighty. What have you got done for your day after
1: the ending of this film? All right. So, the day after the monster squad goes down to the center of town to kind of watch the army clean up because they... Yeah, because there,
0: there was a big mess, wasn't it by the end of the, the film?
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, the army sort of sets up camp, even though they're not quite sure what's happened, they see all the destruction, so they sort of set up camp to, to help clean it up. They let Phoebe tag along with them because they consider her part of the squad now. They don't want to face the monsters or face any monsters without her anymore because they've realized that everyone brings something unique to the squad so that they've got to, you know, stick together. While they're hanging out, a mysterious man shows up in town. He's a grizzled older man, and while he's not wearing a uniform, the army men snap to attention when he walks on the scene. He starts asking the kids a bunch of questions and tells them that he knows exactly what happened here. They ask who he is, and he reveals that his name is Commander James Frank, and he's a direct descendant of Victor Frank. Frankenstein. Oh, nice. He's been tracking monster activity for years and he leads a special branch of the military that's trained to deal with supernatural threats. He tells the kids that he thinks a bigger threat is coming. He believes that all the supernatural activity, if it caught his attention, it probably caught the attention of the bigger bad guys as well. <gasps> oh, I want to watch that movie about an army <laughs> team to fight. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I actually have to say, I'm, I uh, you know, I didn't go too meta this time, yeah. and I, I feel like, I'm like, this really would make a pretty good sequel. I gotta, if I may toot my own horn for a minute there. Oh, cool. <laughs> you know.
0: It reminds me of, uh, just that little bit reminds me of a book I read called Seal Team 666. Oh, that's fun. So this guy gets recruited to this, this small team of seal, seal units, and he finds out that, that they have actually gone up against uh, demons and possessed people and things. Oh, i have to check that out. It's, it's actually quite good. It's uh, I thought it was going to be really cheesy, but it's done really well.
1: Oh, I'll definitely check that out. I'm always looking for a good book recommendation. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's Seal Team 666. Good book.
0: That's alright. I have google i can figure <laughs> but it out there's a uh, i also like the fact I'm, I'm trying to think now what's what's bigger than
1: dracula well we're gonna find out aren't we okay dun, dun, dun. <laughs> all right so how about your day after phil what do you got okay my
0: day after is a little bit similar uh, there's lots of tidying up of the town to be done uh, and the police and army want to investigate us there's lots of damage lots of dead bodies and lots of strange it's probably ectoplasm and things like that some kind of you know oozing. Postulence which is all over the place.
1: Mmm, ooze and postulence.
0: <laughs> Even though there are witnesses to what, what did happen, uh, as adults are wont to do, they rationalise the events, so no monsters are actually mentioned. There was people on, on various drugs. Uh, there was no bath salts back then, but they'd be that kind of thing. They'd be saying people high on drugs and wearing strange things. But in all look of football that went down, the spell book is put in the hands of a young policeman who was called Officer Renfield. <laughs> nice, yeah. He looks quite pale. He's got a plaster on his neck. But he's uh, he's worked he's worked for the force for f- a few months. Uh, but he's got he's got the spell book. The kids are young enough, and that along with their love of monsters and the fact they saved the day means they're not affected by events too badly. I don't think they're going to have nightmares and things like that. But I don't think they're going to be too psychologically scarred because because the way they dealt with it all and everything it was sort of it was, that was all the way that's how you deal with monsters and he dealt with it and it was all done. But they are really frustrated by the fact nobody quite believes them about what what went down. I can see that. That's where I leave
1: it. All right. I, something tells me. Something tells me I shouldn't trust this young officer Renfield. Mm. But that's just a hunch. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know why. I it could that be onto
0: something. Right. Uh, by the way, for <laughs> listeners who haven't read Dracula or seen any Dracula films,
1: Renfield is a major character in that story. Right. And also, if you haven't uh, read Dracula or seen any Dracula films, you probably should get out more. Yeah. I'm sorry, is that condescending? No, no, Did I I cross the line? I don't know. No, yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying, there's been a lot of Dracula films over the years. Chances are, I think, pretty good most people have seen at least one of them.
0: That's very true. Is he the
1: vampire? Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. (laughs) So that's that. What about your immediate aftermath, Mike? All right, so Commander Frank brings in his squad of elite military personnel, and he basically deputizes the monster squad. He doesn't see them as kids. He sees them as allies, as soldiers who have had a major victory in the war against the supernatural. And that's no small feat. He introduces them to a second in command, Jacqueline Harker, who's a direct descendant of Mina Harker, one of Dracula's original victims. They debrief the kids, find out exactly what happened, and then Frank and Jacqueline tell the kids that they've been tracking a huge increase in vampire and supernatural events lately, with recent outbreaks in California towns like Santa Cruz and Sunnydale, <laughs> as well as Mexico, Alaska, Sweden, and even suburbia. They think that the events that happened here were enough to draw out the forces behind all of this supernatural mystery, and they want the kids to stick close so they can all work together to defeat them. And that's where I'll leave it for now. Nice. I like that. There's so many... So many films there in the list of places. Yeah, it's like a little Easter egg. Yeah. So so we got Santa Cruz, Sunnydale, Mexico, Alaska, Sweden, and Suburbia. That's six specific films I picked on. Yeah. So uh, we'll see if any sharp eyed or or eagle eared, that's a mixing of metaphors. Sharp toothed listener. Any, any listeners out there who can hear real good uh we'll see if any of them uh want to you know drop us their list of which the exact six films are and you know how to get in touch with us and if you don't we'll tell you later so there you go anyway how about your uh, immediate aftermath phil okay my immediate aftermath you're right mike Uh, renfield is not to be trusted uh he's
0: gradually corrupted and leaves the force and begins traveling around the world because of something he's discovered or being told we're not entirely sure which and he starts putting together his own monster squad Mm. They involve, They include a certain Mister Hyde, the Invisible Man, the Fly, a poltergeist, and robot monster who happens to look like Gorilla with a spacesuit helmet, <laughs> which was filmed in nineteen fifty-three. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea of having. You got these, and then robot monster, <laughs> right?
1: Just, right. I, I like it. I like it.
0: <laughs> he spends months putting the team together because Branfield, because he's easily corrupted, he's also not the sharpest tool in the box. But he puts his team together and seek the original amulet's twin. This one, though, is composed of pure evil. Mm. So meanwhile, the kids of the Monster Squad are moving on. They still watch movies. The films aren't the same anymore. After fighting monsters, it's a bit, bit hard to enjoy them as much. Meetings become less and less until it's basically only Sean, Patrick, and his sister, Phoebe. They still see the others, but it's it's just not the same. Phoebe starts having dreams, though, some strange dreams. and She starts... Uh Starts drawing them And Sean realizes She's drawing new monsters Mm. And strange places Mm. He gradually realizes That bad things are happening And he begins to put The gang back together He also He needs to do some research To find out what exactly Is going on And he goes To the local library Where there's a new librarian A young man called Rupert Giles
1: (laughs) They begin to piece together The foul plan That is afoot (laughs) That's awesome (laughs) It's funny that you Mentioned Giles Uh, I know uh, after you Mentioned something I was working so hard To try and turn To actually Well I had I shouldn't say I had this idea About Phoebe Mm-hmm. growing up to become Buffy and I, I just couldn't quite make it work in a way that I was satisfied with and I didn't want to shoehorn in this sort of yeah, you know yeah. meta ending yeah. uh, but I definitely was stuck on that for a while was, I, was like, I was like Phoebe's Buffy but I, I just couldn't make it work but it is, <laughs> it is funny that you brought Giles in, nicely but, done. Well I did think though
0: with the Monster Squad anyway because they're using the, monster, the Universal Monsters I think it's because uh, it was quite meta anyway mm-hmm. having them in it so just, that's right. I thought that's you would right. have more monsters coming in. Sure. Okay, so that's uh, our immediate aftermath. So neither sound like it's going to be happy days for the team, but uh, what have you got for the long term?
1: All right, well, Frank and Harker and the kids gear up for an assault. They set up a perimeter on the edge of town with all of the soldiers and vehicles. They're ready for the worst. Right at the break of dawn, a mysterious lone figure emerges from the mist. It's a vampire-werewolf-zombie hybrid, and it looks terrifying. Holy schnickies. That's... <laughs> The monster squad and, and the soldiers, the real soldier squad, prepares to attack, but Phoebe slips out from behind the line and runs out. The boys try to stop her, but she wriggles free and she runs to greet the monster. He kneels down and whispers something in her ear. After a tense moment where everyone freezes, Phoebe smiles and waves the squad out to where they are. They approach with some trepidation, but the Zom Vamp Wolf, as I'm calling it, introduces himself as simply. Alfred. He tells them that Dracula was actually a tyrant who had all of monsterdom under his control, like his hypnotic control. They couldn't, they couldn't free themselves from his will. Cool. And now that he's been banished to another realm, his power over them has disappeared, and they just want to live in peace with humanity. And so the monster squad becomes a different kind of squad, one who works with monster kind instead of against them. And they eventually help hundreds of monsters integrate into the world and become productive members of society. The end. Oh, I like that. So there you go.
0: A little happy ending yeah, after all. It didn't didn't go the way I was expecting, but I like the
1: ending. Thought it was something a little bit different that way very good i like that plus that way i didn't have to kill off the entire monster squad so phoebe could get amnesia and become uh, uh you know yeah, yeah. become <laughs> become buffy in the end so <laughs> that's, that's the only way i could good, work yeah. it out was like well she's gonna get orphaned and that's gonna happen because all of the rest of the monster squad gets killed and i'm like that's kind of yeah. a downer ending yeah, so yeah. <laughs> doesn't really fit the tone of the first film no no <laughs> definitely not so all right how about your long term
0: okay so both renfield squad and the monster squad they take a long time to get things sorted and fight it's this is about five years later in the meantime renfield's as I said, was a bit of an idiot. So he's been, he's been looking in various places around the world looking for this amulet because the clues doesn't quite put them together even with the help of uh, the creatures he's got there. Mr. Hyde and the fly particularly ever scientists on the good, good moments. Mm-hmm. But reading between the lines of various news stories, Sean tracks the progress of Renfield's squad meanwhile the monster squad have tracked down the amulet because they've had rupert giles helping them and they're quite clever unfortunately patrick was the first to touch it and he became possessed patrick was sean's best friend in the squad oh no yeah so patrick's now possessed but they tracked down an expert on possession she'd uh, dealt with it in the past her name's her name is reagan McNeil, and she helped stabilize patrick but he can only be saved if the amulet is banished but it needs evil souls for the, uh, the ritual. So Sean, as well as in, in the interim, he's been there uh, putting together a tougher monster squad as well, because he knows there's going to be a battle. So he needs people to help him because he's still, he's still young. So he needs, he needs people to help. Sure. But Sean sends out clues to Renfield in a certain way. So he can, he can get them at a location of their choosing because he needs the monsters he's got there to, for part of the ritual. So Sean's put together more members of his team, Monster Squad 2.0. So <laughs> uh, Reagan's going to be helping with the ritual, as is Rupert Giles, but he's also got some people. Uh, Laurie Strode, nice. a young girl who uh, had some bad things on a Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, a young FBI agent who's working his way up through the ranks called Fox Mulder. Uh-huh. Uh, Jack Brooks, who's, uh, who's had dealings with monsters. A bit of a drunk called Ash Williams. and there's a guy who's been away anyway called R.J. McCready he's uh, been away a few years before and he's come back and he's not not quite they can't quite put a a finger on it but he doesn't seem quite with it but he said he's going to help them
1: Mm -hmm. interesting
0: so there they go Renfield's team turns up where they wanted to uh, Sean's and the battle begins Phoebe and Reagan begin the ritual to save Patrick and banish the amulet luckily Dr. Jacko manages to gain control from Mr. Hyde and helps turn the tide meaning the ritual is completed. Patrick is saved, the amulet is banished and the monsters are either dead, exorcised or deactivated. As Sean and his friends leave the church they are greeted by a big blonde man who's carrying a shotgun and wearing sunglasses. He asks for their help with the problem he's facing and also if anyone has any bubblegum. Cause he's all out.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my ending. Very nice. Love it. I love it. That's great. Any listen, anytime you can throw back to they live. I'm a big fan. I think two good endings there. Too bit different, but uh, I'd, I'd watch both of them. Yeah, I think those would both make exciting sequels, for sure. Mm. That's uh, it's a great, you know, it's, Monster Squad's a lot of fun. I th- obviously, we can have fun with the endings, and like we said earlier, if you haven't seen the movie, definitely track it down. So, Phil, I'm guessing my my supernatural senses are telling me that you probably have some fun trivia about the Monster Squad. <laughs> you
0: are right, Mike.
1: Can you do all the trivia in that accent? In, the, in a Dracula accent, I'll try <laughs> Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> i don't know
0: okay the wolfman's face was modeled after that of stan winston the special effects guy
1: special effects legend i believe is what you meant to say yeah you're right legend sorry that's
0: yeah special effects legend uh mary ellen trainer the actress she played the mother of the of sean and phoebe in this and she apparently also played the mother to some of the kids in the goonies
1: that's right she did
0: Uh, the guys who played andre gower and robbie keger who played Sean and Patrick, who were friends in real life before the film was made. Huh. This was an interesting one. In two thousand and six, Wizard magazine made a list of the hundred greatest villains of all time, and Dracula was ranked as number thirty on the list, but it was it was for this version of Dracula from this film. He he beat out all the other interpretations of Wow, okay, the that's cool. And he was played by Duncan. Riga.
1: I always liked Duncan Rieger. He was in a Zorro TV show that was in syndication back in the late '80s, early '90s that I, I used to watch religiously because I've always loved Zorro. And he was he was great in the lead role. And then he was on Deep Space Nine for a couple episodes. And yeah, you know, just one of those actors that I've always enjoyed. And he was he was fantastic in this as well.
0: Yeah, he was. Uh, he did great things with the role. He was he was a good he was a good Dracula, definitely. And it must be it must be good to play a role like that where you can just. Pun unintended, but you can sink your teeth into. <laughs> or was it pun intended? Yeah, maybe it's a little of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The plane where you first see Dracula first appears has Browning written on the side, and that was the name of the guy who directed the first Dracula film.
1: That's right, Todd Browning. Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, he did that excellent. And uh,
0: Liam Neeson was considered for the role of Dracula at one point.
1: oh that's interesting. That would have been fun. But uh,
0: yes, that's the Monster Squad. Then
1: very good. So there you go. Those are our endings for the Monster Squad. If you have different thoughts on how you think it might have ended, drop us a line. We'll share all that info with you at the end of the episode.
0: One thing you can do if you don't want to think of a full ending, though, just think about, give us the list of monsters that the Monster
1: Squad would go up against in the sequel. That'd be a good one. So there you go. You drop us a line, let us know what you think, and we will uh, share it on the air. So moving on now to... Top Gun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we're entering the danger zone now. That's right. We are entering the danger zone. What's interesting is as we record this, Phil, the day we're recording this is the 30th anniversary of the Top Gun, of Top Gun being released into theaters. And so that's partially why we picked it for this episode because seeing as how it's the 30th anniversary, we thought it'd be kind of a nice time to commemorate it. And there's a brand yeah. new Blu-ray out, a commemorative edition Blu-ray, steel book, fancy packaging, all yeah. that stuff. So what better time to revisit Tom Cruise and... Maverick and Iceman and all those great characters. Then so no. thirty years—that's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. And Tom Cruise has barely changed. <laughs> yeah, well, living the good life will do that for you, I think. <laughs> maybe the song to that Scientology. <laughs> yeah, maybe there is. Maybe there is. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Let's move on before they they find us. Okay, then, Mike, do you want to take us through the adventures of Top Gun? So, Top Gun
1: is a 1986 film directed by one Tony Scott, the late great, much missed Tony Scott. It stars Tom Cruise, obviously, also Kelly McGillis, Anthony Edwards. Val Kilmer, Michael Ironside, and Meg Ryan. Such a good cast. It is a good cast. And a lot of planes. A lot of a lot of metal, metal, shiny planes. Yeah. Did you mention Tim Robbins? Come on. I did not mention Tim Robbins, but he's in there too. Yeah, Tim Robbins and Adrian Pasdar also in it. That's right. So the story begins with U.S. Naval Pilot LT, that's Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by one Tom Cruise, and his radar officer Nick Goose Bradshaw played by Anthony Edwards. They're flying some maneuvers over the Indian Ocean with another plane piloted by Cougar and Merlin. They run into some Russian MiG fighters, as one does, and Maverick (laughs) flies upside down to give them the finger, as one also does, I I presume. (laughs) The, The MiGs engage the American pilots, and this causes Cougar to lose confidence and become unable to land his jet on the aircraft carrier. So Maverick disobeys orders and helps Cougar land. So his commanding officer of course, yells at him and then rewards him by sending him and Goose to Top Gun School. While en route, we learn that Maverick flies so carelessly because his father was a pilot who died during the Vietnam War in an incident that was blamed on his dad, but Maverick doesn't believe that that's the truth. The day before Top Gun School starts, Maverick tries to pick up a woman named Charlie Blackwood, played by Kelly McGillis, a civilian Top Gun instructor. He failed. <laughs> Spectacularly. <laughs> in Top Gun School, Maverick defeats his commander jester played by michael ironside in combat and becomes frenemies with iceman played by val kilmer who goes at him can you hear that yes <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry. Always, that's right. always the scene I remember Yeah, is <laughs> when Val Kilmer just goes, I you know, at Tom yeah. Cruise. <laughs> Eventually, Maverick starts a relationship with Charlie, which mostly includes satiny sheets and Berlin's Take My Breath Away. <laughs> During a training exercise, Maverick is showing off when his jet malfunctions and Goose is killed. Maverick feels guilty and stops flying like a Maverick and considers retiring from flying altogether. He seeks advice from Viper, played by Tom Skerritt, who tells him that he flew with Maverick's dad and that his dad died heroically. Eventually, Maverick graduates from Top Gun, but Iceman takes the top pilot honors. During the graduation party, Maverick and Iceman are called to duty to deal with a military situation. They end up going up against a half dozen MiG fighters, destroying 4 of them and sending the others running. And when they return triumphantly, he's offered his choice of assignments, and he chooses returning to Top Gun to become a pilot instructor. And somewhere in there also the uh, greatest slow motion sweaty muscle showing off game of volleyball of all time happens. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the not homoerotic in the slightest. Not even a little. <laughs> what time is it? Let me check my watch in slow motion while I flex my <laughs> muscles. My well-oiled muscles that is. <laughs> You've got to protect yourself from the sun. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, skin cancer is no joke. <laughs> All right, so that is Top Gun in a nutshell. Phil, why don't you take us through your day after?
0: Well, my day after, not much happens, to be honest. It's quite a short one. Uh, Charlie and Ma- Maverick spend lots of time together. As Maverick begins work on becoming an instructor, she obviously can help him because she's she's been in, doing the job for a while. And Iceman carries on flying, but he teams up with Maverick every few weeks to uh, go out and sing some karaoke in the bars. Of course. Got to yes. have it. Got to have the singing. Yeah. So that's my day after. As I said, it's quite brief, but there you go. What about your day after, Mike? All right,
1: well, Maverick returns to Top Gun school and gets set up in his new apartment. Charlie comes to visit him, and they hook up. But when he tells her that he's going to be an instructor and not a pilot anymore, she breaks things off with him, because she's kind of a pilot adrenaline junkie, and Maverick being just an instructor holds no interest for her. I had no idea she was so shallow. Oh. <laughs> it's so disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Charlie, Charlie. Charlie, Charlie. So Maverick goes out to a bar to drink his troubles away, and he ends up picking up a random girl and heading to the beach and playing some slow-motion volleyball. And because he looks like Tom Cruise, they end up back at his place and she spends the night where they make tender love to the dulcet tones of REO Speedwagon's I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore. (laughs) That's my day after. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Oh, no, I can see that. Get up (laughs) ahead. Oh, but wait. There's more to come. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. How about your immediate aftermath, Phil? Okay. My immediate aftermath, Maverick. He's a natural as an instructor. He does great work, and he still flies a huge amount. He gets in the air a lot. He still sees uh, Charlie. Uh, they're still getting on well. He's still friends with Iceman and everybody else. He's well respected after what he did. Everybody likes him. He's got that. He's got that like like Tom Cruise charm.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Uh, however, a new government project is brought in. Uh, an, an autonomous fighter jet, which has been developed by Stephen Falcon and his young assistant, David Lightman, <laughs> is being tested out by the, uh, the Air Force and Navy, and it's codenamed Joshua. Maverick thinks the whole thing is ridiculous because you know computers aren't going to be able to fly better than, than humans, but he's assigned to help train Joshua with the skills that can't be programmed. After watching Joshua beat Iceman and many other pilots in, in various simulations, Maverick takes to the sky, and after a long, eventful flight eventually beats Joshua. Joshua already self-aware gains respect for the human pilots and a de- decision is eventually made after lots of other tests though, know that human pilots will have a Joshua wingman.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: So that's where I ended there. Excellent. What about your immediate aftermath?
1: All right well Maverick starts training pilots he quickly becomes the most popular instructor at the school due to his balance between teaching flight mechanics and encouraging the students to take chances when necessary but not to take unnecessary risks. The students feel like he really gets them. Plus, you know, he's kind of a legend. Some of the students in his first class include Topper Harley, codename Hot Shots, Stephen Hiller, codename ID4, Ted Stryker, codename Don't Call Me Shirley, (laughs) and Doug Masters, codename Iron Eagle, (laughs) and Whip Whitaker, codename Flight, who becomes legendary when he lands a malfunctioning plane upside down. (laughs) Maverick turns them into one of the best graduating classes in military history. Then, after the graduation ceremony, he picks up a girl and slowly makes love to her to the sounds of foreigners' <laughs> I want to know what love is. <laughs> I want you to show me. Oh, God, I could see that as well. Uh, it followed
0: the lyrics part of it as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: Uh, so there okay. we go. So how about your... Uh, true how about true your to the spirit of Top Gun, i say. I think so. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: How about your uh, long-term benefit?
0: Okay, 10 years have passed. It's now nineteen ninety six. Maverick and Charlie are no longer a couple, but they're still friends, even though she ended up marrying Iceman. Ooh. Maverick still trains new pilots, and new innovations brought in by Professor Walken and Joshua see incredible improvements to aircraft and other technology. For example, we now have a base on the moon, and it is this very moon base that picks up a huge alien spacecraft approaching Earth, and the current president, President Whitmore, declares a state of emergency. The Maverick Joshua Protocol is Earth's best hope for survival. Maverick is about to enter the danger
1: zone once more. <laughs> I love the Maverick Joshua protocol. That has a a good ring to it. Yeah, the the aliens will just hear that and they go. Well, listen, you know, if Tom Cruise is going to be fighting off the aliens, then, you know, Independence Day shall be ours for sure. Oh, yeah. I have no fear.
0: It'll be sorted out before lunch. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) I bet it'll have a killer soundtrack, too. It'd be amazing. So that was my
0: ending for Topcom. All right. like it. I like it. Thank you very much. I thought because Tom Cruise does so many sci fi things anyway, might as well go sci fi with it. Uh,
1: you know, listen, I'm not going to lie. I actually had thought about doing the exact same thing, having him go up against the aliens from Independence Day because the timelines worked out well. You know, he's a crack pilot. So I thought, well, instead, you know, he'd be the one to sort of, you know, to be the lead pilot. So I actually yeah. almost went there. Great minds, clearly, think alike. Well, they both
0: have a similar kind of vibe though, with the whole thing of it's, the, you know, the American military, can you know, we can sort it all out and let's do it, who yeah, all that kind right. of stuff. right, exactly. So here we go then. What, Mike, is your long-term?
1: All right, so a few years later, when a conflict arises with a nondescript, unspecified Asian country, Maverick is called into action. They need someone special to lead a rescue mission to retrieve a high-profile prisoner because previous missions have failed and Maverick is the only one who can save the day obviously yeah so he steps up to do his duty the night before he leaves he picks up a girl at a bar and makes tender sweet love <laughs> to her to the sweet sounds of white snakes is this love <laughs> the next one mo- i could just see the album <laughs> Maverick sex tape right. <laughs> exactly oh i'm sure he's got quite the mixtape i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure he's got that at the ready <laughs> The next morning, he reports for duty and ships off to Asia for combat. Leading his crack squad of pilots, Maverick is successful in the rescue mission and returns home a hero. When he gets back stateside, all of the girls he slept with show up at the airport to greet the returning hero. And because there's so many of them, it actually causes a riot. (laughs) So Maverick escapes the crush of swooning girls and makes his way back home. Eventually, using a combination of his combat record, his popularity with women, and his good looks, he runs for president with a slogan of "America, you've lost that loving feeling." <laughs> oh, <brilliant. laughs> he wins the election by a landslide, goes on to serve the country with distinction for two terms, and he becomes notable for being the first president to have eight first ladies in his eight years in office. <laughs> and there we go. There's that's the end. Oh, he's a dirty, sod his maverick Yeah, well, you know oh, <laughs> I like it good stuff thanks so yeah a little a little fun with uh, Tom Cruise and his uh, his slow motion volleyball 80s ballads there you know Yeah, yeah it's all things that are near that. and dear to my heart you know
0: <laughs> good stuff I like them
1: so there you have it that's what happens after Top Gun ends at least according to Phil and I as always you can share your endings with us we'll tell you how to do that in just a little bit and Phil I'm sure you must have some fascinating trivia for us about Top Gun so Phil listen
0: Yes, some nice little bits. Val Kilmer, unsurprisingly, didn't want to be in this film.
1: Has there ever been a film I that Val Kilmer did want to be in? It seems to be
0: the general thing, doesn't it? Every film he's in, he's going, well, he didn't actually want to be in it. <laughs> right. But he was in it, and okay. he, was, he was good in it. Yeah. Uh, Tony Scott was officially fired three times during production. Wow. And, uh, and the U.S. Navy had the highest application rates for years after the film came out.
1: Oh, I believe that. It was, yeah. you know, I think it's, you know, Top Gun is obviously an iconic movie and I, obviously everyone knows Top Gun, but I, I, I do think people sometimes forget just how popular that movie was. Yeah. It was like, it was a, it was a blockbuster. Huge yeah, I mean, it was all anybody talked about for most of the summer. But
0: uh, the other thing, though, that I hope this is true. The real Top Gun school gives a $5 fine to anyone in the staff that quotes the film. <laughs> really? I really like that one. Yeah, That's great. Uh, Anthony Edwards is the only actor who didn't vomit. it while they were training in the fighter jets. Oh, wow. Apparently Tom Cruise uh, threw up once.
1: Well, that probably came in handy when Anthony Edwards went on to become, uh, you know, to be on ER then. ER,
0: yeah. This one was interesting. Tom Cruise had never ridden a motorbike before this film. Hmm, interesting. And then, he, then since then, he's just gone with the motorbike, hasn't he? So many well, it's,
1: yeah, it's sort of become a very, you know, part of his whole, you know, image. Hmm. Uh, but uh, Ali Sheedy, she turned
0: down the role of Charlie and later regretted it. I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, Brooke Shields and Deborah Winger were also considered but the, obviously they didn't get the role. And as for the role of Maverick, uh, it was turned down by quite a lot of people. Matthew Modine, Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, Matthew Broderick, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, Scott
1: Bayo, and Tom Hanks. Wow, that's a really long list of people who are probably kicking themselves after yeah, 1986. Yeah. I know, it's crazy, isn't it?
0: But also, some people who were considered for the role, but either due to their age or other reasons didn't get, didn't get it, were Charlie Sheen, Jim Carrey, Rob Lowe, Kevin Bacon, Eric Stoltz, and Robert Downey Jr.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, because it's funny to think, you know, Tom Cruise obviously is one of the biggest movie stars in history. Yeah. And he was, you know, pretty well known before this. I mean, Risky Business had come out and, you know, a couple other films that had been hits. But this really was the one that turned him into a, you know, capital letters movie star.
0: Oh, yeah, he he wasn't a huge megastar until this one really was it
1: no no this was really the one that kind of you know i don't say it put him on the map but it, it certainly it carved out a chunk of that map and made it tom cruise land it sort know? of cemented it didn't it that it, it was him yeah yeah absolutely
0: and of course though charlie sheen was considered but he ended up doing uh hot shots anyway that's right oh and obviously they had to do lots of different things about the height difference because kelly mcgillis was five foot ten tom cruise was five foot seven so they had to build trenches or put boxes out to make uh, tom cruise
1: Look a lot taller. I'm sure that they were both thrilled by that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, that's pretty cool stuff, Phil. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up Top Gun. As always, if you have comments or endings you'd like to share, you can reach us online various different ways. We will share how to do that at the end of the episode. So moving on, we have another one of our patented mini features. And yeah. this week we have another new one because we're going to just keep churning out new ones until we run out of ideas. And then we'll start all over again, I guess. So, <laughs> So. What's the new feature this week, Mike? It is called, Why Aren't You More Famous? And we mean that in the most loving ways.
0: I'm glad you asked. The reason why I'm not more famous, I think. <laughs> it's because I'm holding you back, isn't it? So,
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I, I'll learn to let you go eventually.
0: I I, I want to be a star. <laughs> I'm ready for my close-up.
1: So basically what this is, it's not meant to poke fun at anybody. It Actually, just the opposite. This is where Phil and I are both going to share, an actor or actress, that we... Have a great deal of affection for somebody that we're a big fan of but who's never quite either gotten the attention they deserve or who's had a successful career but isn't quite the household name that they should be so we're not really picking out obscure actors it's more like people that you know film buffs probably know but you know the general yeah. population may not know them by name that's sort of what we're thinking here
0: it it's going to be the kind of people you see in films all the time or tv shows and you go and you go, no, oh, it's that guy again that I saw on this show, and he was doing, also the that guy doing this and that. It's all the man or woman you recognize from different shows or TV, TV shows or films.
1: Well, Phil, I'll let you start things off. Who did you pick for our first installment of Why Aren't You More Famous? I picked Xander Berkeley.
0: Oh, I love him. He's great. He's amazing. He's been in so many things, and he's very, very famous because he's been in pretty much everything. He goes through his, his IMDb, and it's just he's been in everything. He was in episodes of MASH and The Incredible Hulk, Heart to Heart, Remington Steele, Cagney and Lacey, Falcon Crest, V. That was just his early career and since then it's just been doing everything. He's the guy you probably know, lots of people might know him from, uh, he was in 24, he played George Mason. Yep, that was one of his best roles. Another big role he had was Percy Rose in the TV show version of Nikita. Mm-hmm. And was also a big part in The Mentalist. Uh, but he's been in film, uh, Some, but I really liked him. I'd seen him lots of times. I Knew who he was, but I really like him. And it's like a mini series, a web series. The Booth at the End, which is an incredible TV show. I'm not familiar if, with that one. If you haven't seen it, he just bas- It's basically all set in a restaurant, a diner, and he's sat at the booth in the end with the book, and he's writing in. And people come up to him asking for help. Ah, cool. And it's just there, and they have to do something in return for him. And he always consults the book, and it's always in there. And it's an amazing show because it's basically just it's all on him. And it, the acting is is incredible.
1: Right, right. Yeah, he's terrific. And if you're if you're racking your brains, going, why, who is this guy? I can't think of him. You might know him from Terminator Two. He played John Connor's adopted father. Yeah. Todd, yeah. wasn't it Todd?
0: Yeah, I think that was the name, and he, he ends up getting the, the yeah spike he ends up getting through, the yep. spike
1: through his head with the milk carton and everything. That's one of the, one of the roles he's he's also pretty well known for.
0: And just a few of the uh, few little films he's been in. He was in uh, Kick Ass, A Few Good Men, The Rookie, Candyman. Leaving Las Vegas, Gattaca, Apollo 13, The Rock, Air Force One, Sid and Nancy, Amistad, Shanghai Noon. And he was also in, he had a role in both LA Takedown in 1989 and 1995's Heat, both directed by Michael Mann. Right. Well, basically, well, he was basically a remake, wasn't it, of LA Takedown. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's really, I mean, he's been in everything. And that's, that's probably a $2 billion worth of box office gross right there. Yeah. And huge, yet and most he, people still don't don't know who he is.
0: Yeah. But as soon as you see him... You, know, you probably People are probably Googling now trying to find out, you know, <laughs> right? checking his and, and going, oh, yeah, it's him. Exactly. It's that dude. That's he's exactly also done, he's also done loads of voice work in various cartoons like Gargoyles, Spider-Man, DCs, animated t- uh, movies they put out. Right, right. Just phenomenal amount of work. And he's always, he's a solid actor. Whenever he's there, you know, he's going to do good things, even if the thing he's in isn't that good. Exactly. I think that's a great way to put it, for sure. Oh, he was also in uh, Tales of the Gold Monkey.
1: Oh, great show. 1982.
0: Yeah, I used to love that as a kid.
1: Absolutely, that's a terrific yeah. show. Yeah, every TV show he's been in. it. Right, right, the list goes on.
0: That's my guy. Why isn't he more famous? Because he doesn't need to. He's, have,
1: he's making a good career, and he's not bothered by people all the time. There you go, there you go. Excellent choice. I, I think he's fantastic, so I'm... I'm... I'm uh, very pleased that we could shine a little spotlight on him in this episode.
0: Thank you very much. Who have you got then, Mike?
1: All right. So I picked someone that I've always been a fan of. And and I think part of the problem with his career is I don't know that he's always made the best movie choices. Unlike Xander Berkeley, he hasn't been in a a ton of blockbusters. But I've always thought he was a a really good actor. And it is Stephen Dorff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Steven Dorff, probably best known to people for playing Deacon Frost, the bad guy, in the original Blade film against Wesley Snipes. That was probably his biggest role. But he was also in Judgment Night with Emilio Estevez and Dennis Leary, which is a movie that I I, love. I really like that film. That's a great film. Uh, He's in the cult classic SFW. He was in Public Enemies with Johnny Depp. He was in Immortals, which came out with Henry Cavill a few years ago. Uh, Ironically, one of his earlier roles when he was young was in a movie called I Know My First Name is Steven, but he played Pete. Not Steven. <laughs> uh, he's also had some some films I've really enjoyed over the past couple of years, some direct to video efforts, one movie called Felon and another movie called Officer Down, which are both really good, gritty, you know, action thrillers that, that are quite enjoyable. And I've just always felt like he's a really good actor. Yeah. But again, I think he, some of the films he was in weren't necessarily always that great. But I feel like he could have been. A much bigger star than he is and i'm not sure why he never really was able to turn some of his early success into bigger roles but i've always enjoyed him so i know what you mean he was in uh sophia Cop- coppola's uh
0: what was the one somewhere yep yep she did that yeah he was like a, the leader of that and he's, there's one i have keep seeing the trailer for it's not sure yeah i've just seen now it's coming out on the first of july in the uk one called american hero where he's playing uh He's basically got superpowers but he's a, a slacker Right, looks a, right. Bit like, looks a bit like a Hancock kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: I'm looking forward to that one actually. Yeah,
0: I, the, the trailers looks
1: like fun. Yeah, and he got some good early critical acclaim with a movie he did with Morgan Freeman called The Power of One. Yeah, I remember. Kind of the first taste of disappointment for him was like yeah. there was this movie that critics like that was supposed to be a hit and then it wasn't. And it seems like that's just sort of been the story of his career. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. He's
0: yeah, he's a good actor, but it's it's always amazes me sometimes. Yeah, you have these you have actors and to no fault of their own, they just the roles they take or the films they take just don't don't quite build those steps to to the top, do they?
1: Right, right. That's exactly it. I mean, he's a working actor. He's doing fine for himself. So, you know, he doesn't need my help, but just someone I've always enjoyed.
0: Oh, there we go. Two good names, and it's well worth checking out uh, the, the various... TV shows or movies that they've been in.
1: Yeah, hopefully you guys will uh, will appreciate them, or once you see them, you'll recognize them, and, and you'll go, oh, yeah, I do like that guy. And also, if you have an underappreciated actor or actress, somebody who you think should be more famous, let us know who it is, because obviously there's some other good choices out there, so we'd love to hear about them from you. Yes, indeed. All right, so now it is time for 100 Years of Film in 100 Episodes, and today we are traveling back in time to... 1955. That's right. So, Phil, why don't you take us back to the time of poodle skirts and milkshakes and other things from the 50s? <laughs> okay,
0: Daddy O, get hip to the jive. We're off. Yeah. So, over in Britain, the peer, uh, the prime minister was Winston Churchill, uh, but then he had to bow out and Anthony, Anthony Eden took over, while Dwight D. Eisenhower was the president in the US. It seems very, if you've played any of the Fallout games, basically, 1955 seems to be before all the bombs dropped. It was all very nuclear, all very kind of hip and things like that. Because we had the USS Nautilus, the first nuclear-powered sub, put to sea. Uh, The Pentagon announced plans to develop... The Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, armed with nuclear a nuclear warhead. Okay, and also a young Jim Henson, he built the first came at the Frog. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the Elevated Train Service in Manhattan ended. Ruth Ellis, over in the UK, was hanged in London. She was the last woman to be executed in the UK. The first edition of the Guinness Book of Records was published. Oh, that's interesting. As was Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. Hmm. Uh, we had Gunsmoke and the Mickey Mouse Club debuted. And over in the UK again, ITV began broadcasting. And one final thing: Biff Tannen
1: was knocked out by George McFly. <laughs> very, very important event in history. Exactly, For and sure. also
0: some big, some big births, some uh, some big names: Roland Emmerich, Bill Gates, Chow Yun-fat, Deborah Winger, Willem Defoe, Whoopi Goldberg, J.K. Simmons, Kevin Costner, Jeff Daniels, Bruce Willis, Gillette, Gary Sinise, Lena Olin, Howard Jones, Ron Atkinson, Marina Sirtis. And Eddie Van Halen. Wow, that's quite the list. Oh, and also also Michael Rooker and Bill Paxton. Some cool cool go. people there. And we lost though that year. The deaths were James Dean, Charlie Parker, Albert Einstein, Michael Chekhov, Thomas Mann, Carmen Miranda, Champ Howard And Chief Thundercloud. Okay. So there you go. That was
1: 1955. All right. So uh, we're going to give you our top 10 films of 1955. As we've said before, these are our favorite films of the year. Not necessarily the best, although sometimes those are the same thing. Sometimes they're not.
0: Okay. So here we go. The top 10 films, 1955. What's your number 10, Mike?
1: All right. Well, speaking of James Dean, my number 10 would be one of his three films, and that was East of Eden, directed by Elia Kazan. It's not my favorite film yeah from the year well obviously it's not because it's number <laughs> two on my list so there's clearly nine other films i like better the clue was there in the number it's, it's one of those movies that i appreciate i think more than i like it's a bit long and a bit melodramatic but it does have a great performance by james dean and i i do think it's one of those movies that's worth watching and it's kind of big and sweeping and and i appreciate that so it made my list but it just sort of squeaked in
0: okay well i think i don't know whether this is going to be phil's controversial comment but uh, I never really I never really got James Dean. Mm. Well I never really got the film I well I got the I understood the films and everything but I never <laughs> right. I never quite they never none of them really hit home with me. I don't don't know whether i enjoyed any of them to be honest
1: i can understand that i mean i don't know why no i I get it i honestly his his films aren't really the greatest film he's much more i think of an icon than he was a great actor you know he just was one of those things that sort of happened you know and chances are good if he had lived he wouldn't have the same you know cult status celebrity status that he has these days you know yeah, that's what I often wonder. So I, I, I get that. I, sorry, Phil, you've got to work a little harder than that to have a, a Phil's controversial yeah, opinion. I'll try read. better then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so how about your number 10 then?
0: Yeah, my number 10 was the Quatermass experiment, which uh, over over your side of the pond was called The Creeping Unknown. It was a Hammer film, sci-fi film directed by Val Guest and starred Brian Dan Levy as Professor Quatermass. There was a, a few films based on this. He was, based, he was a scientist who helps uh, combat alien invasions and strange things. This one had an astronaut who goes into space, comes back, turns out he's been infected by alien spores and begins to mutate by killing and absorbing living things. And it's a race against time to stop him before he spreads out more spores and destroys the planet. But it's a great, great, cheese. well, it's not cheese. well, of the time. It's a, it's a good sci-fi film, good feelings of peril, not bad effects, to be honest, as well. And it's uh, Dan Levy as Quatermass was great, good character a good, good little film.
1: Very cool. I have to admit uh, that I actually have never seen it. I've wanted to. It's one I've been familiar with for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, As I discovered going through this year for our list, I thought I had seen a lot more movies from 1955, but it turns out there's a good 10 or 20 films that are that as soon as I saw them doing my research, I said, oh, I've always meant to see that. Yeah, and, I was, I was I, the same. There's lots of films right. to hear
0: about but I haven't actually seen.
1: Right, so there's a lot of, there may be some omissions on this list from people that, you know, that, the films that audience members are expecting to hear that are or movies I've wanted to see. There's two or three Humphrey Bogart movies that, are on, that, are, that came out in 55 that I've never seen, and I'm a huge Humphrey Bogart fan. And it just sort of is one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of movies I have been meaning to get to, but I haven't yet, so yeah, this will be the, uh, the top ten list for now. A year from now, and I've seen more of the films, this could change
0: good point yeah we'll have to do, a,
1: do it all over again in a couple of years time yeah well after we do the first hundred episodes we'll just start all over yeah, again and yeah. we'll repeat the list and see what changes i'm sure people <laughs> okay. would love that oh yeah it never stops okay okay what's your what's your number nine so at number nine i have blackboard jungle starring glenn ford and anne francis and it's basically one of the first sort of teachers versus unruly students movies out there glenn ford plays a teacher with some troublemaking students and he basically sort of has to go up against them not quite so violent as some of the movies that came out in later years yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's a pretty good flick and i've always had a soft spot for glenn ford he's always an actor that i've really yeah, enjoyed
0: yeah i do like him uh, It's it's a really good film didn't make my list though but it is it's uh, it's worth watching it's good good one of those classroom dramas
1: great how about your number nine
0: my number nine is it's a world war ii film above is the wave starring john mills and donald sindon and it deals with the team of uh, scuba diver soldiers who uh, use manned torpedoes and mini subs to take out some of the German fleet. And it was it's one of the kind of ones you used to watch uh, on a Sunday afternoon with my granddad. Right, right. One of those one of those kind of films you're just watching it, you're not sure what's going on, but you know there's a bit of adventure, the suspense, and John Mills is always a great great one to watch.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a great pick. All right, well my number eight is it came from Beneath the Sea, a classic monster movie about a giant octopus with special effects by the legendary Ray Harryhausen, who I believe was on your list a week or two yeah. ago. Yeah. And uh, this is one of those ones, like like you said, you know, it's sort of a Saturday matinee classic that I saw on TV when I was a kid. I think probably, you know, it was this movie and ones like it that are sort of why I love giant monster movies, giant, you know, any sort of, you know, Anaconda, those giant snake movies, giant alligator movies, you know, the stuff like that. Probably all comes back to movies like It Came From Beneath the Sea. You know, it's just fun. It's not not really, you know, great filmmaking, but I, I think if you can't appreciate A Giant Octopus by Ray Harryhausen, then, you know maybe you're taking it too seriously.
0: That's the thing with all those monster movies. The majority of them are absolute tosh. But <laughs> right. But you, like with the Ray Harryhausen ones, you end up watching them just for, just for the creatures. Yeah,
1: they're fun. You because know?
0: It's, it's just, it, is, it is crazy. I mean, you get so many of them nowadays. You get like The Asylum and uh, Roger Corman still churning them out, all the all the cheesy monster movies. And you see the trailers nowadays and you're going, oh, that looks rubbish, but they're exactly the same kind of film as those. Yeah, it's from true. From back in the day.
1: That's right, good point.
0: But, but with CGI, know, often people go, oh, CGI, oh my God. But yeah, it's, it's all following the same kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my number eight, though, is The Man with the Golden Arm, the Otto Preminger-directed film starring Frank Sinatra, Eleanor Parker, and Kim Novak. Uh, Frank Sinatra was nominated for Best Actor for this one, and it's a drama that deals with drug addiction. It's quite dark. It's almost like a, a noir drama kind of thing, but it's a, it's a powerful film and amazing performances and some some great scenes. And some great camera
1: work. Do you know how long I've owned that movie and haven't gotten around to watching it yet? Oh, it's one of them. There's a new feature. Fil- <laughs> films you've owned. Yeah. Films you've owned you Look it. and see what's the, you know, like the oldest film in our collection, how long we've owned a movie yeah. and not watched it. Because that one goes back quite a ways. But I, I have not yet gotten around to it. And you know, I know it's a great movie. I've heard a lot of good things about it. I know that Sinatra's performance is supposed to be excellent. But it's one of those movies where it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm in the mood to watch a guy yeah, shooting up. You know, that's the thing, I, I, it's, yeah. it takes it takes you gotta you know get in the mood for that kind of thing sometimes. Yeah, so. some, but one some, of these days.
0: Sometimes films like that, where dealing with uh, dark subject matter, often they're the ones that are good when you just you're not sure what to watch and you just turn through the channels. Right, and it right. comes on. And you start watching, and you get sucked in.
1: That's exactly. You're like, whoa, what's this film with Frank Sinatra? And then you watch it, and you're like, yeah. oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, it's hard to sort of set out to watch a movie like that. Yeah, you go, I
0: want to watch this. Yeah, but I, and it, I think that's the trouble now with streaming films all the time, because you go on there, and you spend all your time looking through. Right. You, you do. You go, and there's nothing on here, but actually there's so many good films on the on the various services, but you're just going, I don't want to watch that because it's a bit dark. Right. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not in the mood for this one, but it's... They're all good films.
1: Yep, yep, that's true, it's true.
0: Well, yes, yeah, so that's uh, that was my number eight, and um, we're now on to number seven.
1: Excellent. For my number seven, I have the comedy classic Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy. <laughs> and this is, frankly, because I love Abbott and Costello. I, as an adult, I respect their humor. You know, obviously, they were comedy gold. Uh, as a kid, I absolutely loved them. This is one of those movies that I loved as a kid. Honestly, I haven't watched it in a long time. I don't know if it holds up as well as I remember it, Yeah. but I always... You know, I listened to their, their radio stuff on cassette tape. And uh, the few movies of theirs that I got to see, like, you know, especially the ones where they, they went up against the Universal Monsters, you know, as a kid who loved Monsters and who loved Abdon Costello, you know, these, these were a lot of fun for me. So Yes. Oh, yeah. They were, again, they were like a Sunday
0: afternoon kind of film. And I think probably they were the way – it was probably the Abbott and Costello films, which I saw the Universal Monsters first.
1: Right, yeah, probably, because, you know, when you were really young, it was kind of okay to watch those more than it was to watch the actual films, because, yeah. you know, your parents might not, you know, if it's Abbott and Costello, how scary is it going to be?
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they always, I always remember having a good laugh with them. The Invisible Man one was,
1: was a good one as well. Yep, yep. I think Frankenstein is the best, but I still yeah. enjoy The Mummy as well. Yeah, they always have good funny moments in anyway, some good routines. Right. right, Exactly. So how about you? What's next on your list? Yeah, uh,
0: Mine is Mr. Roberts, some of the war film star, uh, directed by John Ford and Mervyn Leroy and starring Henry Fonda, James Cagney, William Powell and Jack Lemmon and that's really it's all you need to know. It's an amazing cast. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. I'm going to guess that at some point on your list we're going to get to a movie that I've seen but I'm really showing the gaps <laughs> today because I have not yet seen one of the films you've listed.
0: Well, this was one I remember it's again sort it of as a kid first of all it was probably Bank Holiday came on. Mm-hmm. Right, right. watching it stopped playing and watching it because it was... Uh, i was like jack lemon yeah yeah henry, yeah. henry Fonda was sort of he's got one of those when you kid he's got like quite a striking face quite those piercing eyes and things he's a bit scary as well sometimes right yeah for sure so i can you can see why we end up in a once upon a time in the west right no, it's a uh, mr roberts good film it's quite funny it's got james cagnon as well he's the bad guy in it and it's yeah it's good good little film
1: Yeah, I'll have to track that one down for sure. And we're moving on to number six, halfway through. All right, number six. Number six on my list is The Court Jester, starring Danny Kaye. Uh, Basil Rathbone, who of course was most famous for playing Sherlock Holmes in uh, about a billion movies, and one Angela Lansbury. This was before she became a serial killer on Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> and um, I always liked Danny Kay. You know, he's one of those, those. he never quite reached the same level of some of the biggest of the big from classic Hollywood, you know, like Marlon yeah. Brando or, or you know, Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart. But I always had a soft spot for him. I loved his comedies. And The Court Jester is uh, is a great comedy. A little slow in the beginning, I think, but uh, overall, it's it's a lot of fun. And um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it.
0: I, I used to, I used to love watching Danny Kay films because there was all that kind of language thing going on—the the way he sang things—and
1: yeah, he just kind of had his very own unique personality. I feel like you know he might not have been the most famous Hollywood star of the time, but he was, I think, one of the ones who stood out the most for being, yeah, sort of unique in that yeah. respect. You know, yeah, and I, know I just thought mean. he was a great comedic talent. Yeah. And small, small little fact:
0: uh, Angela Lansbury apparently is somehow related to me. Really? She's like a far off, distant cousin, some somehow connected.
1: Wow. So why hasn't she appeared on the show yet, Phil? She's
0: apparently late. She's killing people.
1: <laughs>
0: She's got to do a new season of Murder She Wrote.
1: We could do an after the ending for Murder She Wrote and see what yeah. happened to Jessica Fletcher after <laughs> yeah. the show ended. Yeah. She. Come on, Phil. Get to it. Snap to it. Okay. Those, use those family contacts. I'll, I'll get, you get that Angela sorted. Lansbury on the show. <laughs> I'll work on Ty Sheridan. You work on Angela Lansbury. There we go. We'll get it. Done. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah.
0: My number six is The Lady Killers, one of the Ealing comedies. Alec Alec Guinness, Peter Sellers, Herbert Lom, Katie Johnson. Lots and lots of fun. Gang of criminals use an old lady's house to plan a robbery and commit crimes and lots of lots of funny things happen and it's so much better than the cohen brothers version
1: well i can't comment because once again i haven't seen it oh you, you need to see the lady killers it's, i do i yeah. you know it's it's one of those movies that's on my list and like i said this was a, this year was a big surprise for me this 1955 because i really thought i'd seen more films from it and there's so many that i have wanted to see or thought i had seen and then i looked back and i was like nope haven't actually watched it so
0: well to be honest lots of the films on my list have been on tv an awful lot over here.
1: Oh right, right. Yeah, especially well, just, you have an advantage then. Yeah. So they've just just ones which sort of seeped into into my consciousness over the sure, years. Sure, absolutely. Well my number five is once again starring the late James Dean, and that is Rebel Without a Cause. And you know, this is another one of those movies that It's better than East of Eden. I do like it more than East of Eden, but I I think it's more one of those films that I like because of its status and its cool factor. It's not necessarily a movie that I watch all the time, you know, but it is such an iconic film. And that image of of James Dean in that red jacket, you know, and the the movie poster and him looking all cool. You know, there's something about it that that I do enjoy in that respect. So it did make it a little higher on my list just because of the cool factor.
0: It is amazing, though, how James Dean and those kind of iconic images, like the one in Times Square, those photos and things, just yeah, just have seeped into uh, the public consciousness. Because there's probably the majority of people probably haven't seen
1: any of his films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he yeah. only made the three, so I know, you know that's
0: that's the crazy thing. And if they have seen him, it's probably only Rebel Without a Cause,
1: right? Exactly. It's just it is it's phenomenal how that
0: person that small small space of time had such an impact. Yeah, on the it's world. fascinating. Yeah. It is. It's
1: fascinating. But there you go. That's my number five. How about you? Excellent. Well, my number five
0: is uh, another World War II film, The Dam Busters. Yep, sure thing.
1: Sa- sounds like
0: a good one. I wouldn't know. It's be, been on TV over here many, many times, uh, directed by Michael Anderson and starring Michael Redgrave and Richard Todd. And it deals with the invention by Barnes-Wallace of the bouncing bomb and the RAF 617 squadron who used it. So it was basically a big round ball, which they flew towards the the dams in, in Germany and at a certain point, they could drop the bomb and it would bounce and bounce and bounce across the water like you're skimming a stone and then hit the dam and sink down and blow up and destroy the dam. Huh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, it's it's a really good film. Re- really. What? Well. Although the name of the dog is unfortunate in this day and age. The name of the what? The, there's a little dog that the RAF squadron have and it's called, uh, it goes by the N word. That's the name. So when you're watching it now, I don't know if it's still when it's on TV now, whether that's
1: sort of been changed, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that they may have edited that. But but that was, the, that was the actual name of the dog. Wow. And uh, the RAF Squadron. Well, listen, you know, the, it's a fact of the matter that in these old Hollywood films, there was some racism yes. and, you know, sexism and all those other isms. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where you just have to watch it and accept that it was part of the times and, and understand that, you know, and be glad that we're not like that, mm-hmm. at least not personally. Yes. I'm, I can't say that nobody in the world, you know, does the, has those attitudes anymore, but, you know, we personally choose not to have them. And so, you know, you have to look at it as a historical document.
0: Exactly, but it's... uh. Apart from that tiny little thing, and it is only a tiny little thing in the film, tiny parts of the film, it's a good rip roaring adventure, war drama, and it shows, you know, the invention of man. I mean, because to build this, was the only way they could destroy the dams was to get a bomb at a certain point and to, to make it so you could bounce the thing. It's incredible. Right, right. Very cool. Human ingenuity. Cool. Yeah. So that's the Dambusters. So we're on to number four.
1: Yes, number four on my list is the Seven Year Itch. One of the, th- speaking of icons. Yes. Most definitely. One of Marilyn Monroe's most famous movies and one of her most iconic moments, of course, in the white dress on the subway grate where the wind blows her skirt up. If you haven't seen that (laughs) image before, you probably haven't seen a movie before. And so uh, (laughs) it's directed by the great Billy Wilder. And uh, it's, you know, it's just just classic Hollywood at its finest. I love Marilyn Monroe. It's one of her best films. You know, Billy Wilder at the helm, of course, means that it's it's great. And so, yeah, there you go. There you go. The seven year itch. There what you go. It's
0: a good movie. It didn't didn't make my list though. It was bubbling under. But yeah, it's as you say, it's another one of those iconic images. Right. Great stuff. Uh, my number four was Bad Day at Black Rock, uh, directed by John Sturgis and starring Spencer Tracy, Robert Ryan, and Francis. And it deals with a one-handed stranger coming to town, uh, trying to discover what happened to a, a friend of his, and violence ensues.
1: As we get higher and higher up your list, I get more and more ashamed of the films that I have not yet <laughs> seen. And that was one of them. Actually, I was that I had a list. I, I picked about three or four films from, from this year that I wanted to try and squeeze in before we recorded because I had a feeling they might make my list. And that was one of them, but I just ran out of time. So,
0: oh, it's a really good film. Also, uh, it's got Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin in it as well. So, and starring in the film, so it's a good cast.
1: Oh, great, great cast.
0: It's set on the desert town, and it's yeah, looks great. It's got some, it's got some good fight scenes, but it's like the story is it builds and discover what's happened and gone on. It's yeah, a good film. Very cool.
1: Well, my number three is Disney's Lady and the Tramp. Oh, very good. Yeah, I have no bones about my love of classic Disney films and newer Disney films. I'm not one of those Disney fanatics, but I definitely have a, a a real love for most Disney films. And Lady and the Tramp is just a classic. You know, it's fun. It's lighthearted. It's got some drama in it. It's got great characters. It's got, speaking of, apparently iconic images is my thing for this year. Yeah. It's got the iconic uh, shot of the two of them with the spaghetti, eating the spaghetti together. I mean, that's just a magical moment, you know, and and I love it movie that you can love as a kid and then still love as an adult on a completely different level so I mean Lady and the Tramp I think he really is is one of Disney's you know better efforts there's a lot of great Disney movies I haven't tried ranking them but Lady and the Tramp would probably be my top 10
0: yeah one of the good ones Yeah, I I always like Tramp I always like the designer Tramp yeah
1: all the yeah the characters in that film really look great you know I mean I think Lady is also she's she's a cute dog but like she's got the sort of feminine thing and Tramp is like scrappy and like Kind of masculine looking, but not in a way that makes him look like a like a bad yeah, dog. Yeah. I, maybe I'm over analyzing a cartoon about dogs, but... You no, know, it, it is clever, though, how
0: the artists and the animators can do do so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really great film. Always good. Disney always good. For sure. My number three is, uh, we're going all Hitchcock, it's To Catch a Thief.
1: Yes, thank yeah, God. Carrie...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Finally a film I've seen. <laughs> it's uh, Carrie Grant and Grace Kelly, which I think it was Grace Kelly's final film with Hitchcock, the last one she did with him. Sigh. And it's uh, on the French Riviera, Cary Grant is an ex-cat thief, but somebody's going around pinching stuff and he's trying to find
1: out who. But all you really need to know is it's Hitchcock, Cary Grant, Grace Kelly on the French Riviera. That really is all you need to know. The only other thing I would suggest you need to know about that film is that it is my number two. Ah, so that was a good segue there. Excellent. Folks. So we're very clearly on the same page with this yes. film. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm a huge, huge Hitchcock fan. And this is actually more of like Hitchcock light Yes, yeah, in a way because it's more about like cat burglary. It's not murder and death. And, you know, it's not as dark as some of his other films. But that's what I like about yeah. it is it's a little different for him. But it's a very playful, fun film. Cary Grant's charm is at about a, you know, an, well, it's not even 11. It's like a 20 yeah you know grace kelly is just glamorous and beautiful and uh, it's just fantastic yeah. film so good choice for your number three and that's my number two how about your number two okay so my number
0: two we're on to rafifi
1: yes another another oversight i i had i did have a feeling it was gonna be on your list though because i know it's a very well-regarded film yeah it's a great great film directed
0: by jules de and it's got four thieves you band together to break into a jewelry shop and the high points of the film, well, it's all really good, but the high points of the film is the heist scene, which is 30 minutes long, and there's no dialogue or music, just natural sounds, and they've got to be as quiet as they can anyway when they're doing it. And it's, it's a phenomenal film. It's probably inspired lots of other films. It also happened to inspire an awful lot of criminals who went out and did similar heists after watching the film, and it was banned in some countries because of that.
1: Wow, that's in- I didn't know that. That's yeah. very cool. I, know. I mean, it's, it's not cool, but you yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's interesting. I know,
0: yeah. It had a major impact. There must have been... Uh, bad people taking notes when you watch the film so that's uh, Rafifi number two so we're now on to number one
1: what's the top film of 1955 for you Mike alright well I know this will come as a surprise to absolutely nobody who listened to our last episode and I also know it's not a film that will be your number one but it is Guys and Dolls and you know I went back and forth between Guys and Dolls and To Catch a Thief because I, I love them both but when I when I boiled it down to it I've loved Guys and Dolls since I was a kid it's one of those movies if I catch it on TV I will sit and watch it till the very end it's a musical which I don't generally care for and I love (laughs) it and it's fun and it's bright and it's, it's you know it's just a magical film for me so and you know it's that kind of it's like a—it's not a mobster film, but it's that sort of—you know—mobster light. Yeah. We're all swingers, and we got the hats, and we're gamblers, but we're pretty good guys, you know. It's just sort of like one of those things where you can—you can want to be those characters without actually being a bad guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, so it's just a film that I love, and and obviously it's—it's it's a classic. I mean, the—the the, it's existed in one form or another, you know, in plays and and the movie and everything for years and years. So uh, that's my number one. That's that's a good choice. And how about you? Let's hear it. Mine is a little bit. Darker than Guys and
0: Dolls. It's The Night of the Hunter. Yes. Directed by Charles Lawton, starring Robert Mitchum and Shelley
1: Winters. That one's going to fall into the same category. Of, I've owned this movie for several years, haven't gotten around uh, to watching it.
0: You need, you need to get it watched. It's a beautiful looking yeah. film. Also quite scary. Yeah, I've heard, uh, and I really want to see it. Yeah. But Charles Lawton, people will probably know him best of all. He played Quasimodo, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Right. Uh, he did loads of amazing films, amazing actor, and he went decided to direct the film. He did this one. Lots of the way it looks is based on German expressionism and everything, and it's, it's a stunning in film but at the time it was a box office failure and the critics hated it and charles lawson because of it never directed again and it's a damn shame because he he had s- such an eye it's so good it basically robert mitchin's playing a reverend turned killer or oh, he's a killer who pretends to be a reverend but uh, he uh he tries to charm a widow for money her dead husband hid away and he's uh ends up chasing the kids down a river and things like that and it just Amazing film.
1: Yeah, it's funny too that the critics didn't like it because now it's widely regarded as a classic. Oh yeah. So it's a yeah. shame that it wasn't recognized for that at the time and that, that we didn't see more works from Charles Lawton. Yeah, de-
0: definitely. I mean, the film—you could stop it and so many, pause it in so many places, and it's just—it's just every every scene's a picture, just just great. And it's also—it's also a pretty iconic thing with uh, Robert Mitchum with the love hate tattooed on his uh, knuckles.
1: Right. That's right.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, that was my number one, and that was nineteen fifty-five.
1: Very good. Well, I'm, I'm terribly embarrassed that out of your top 10 films, I've only seen one of them, so clearly I have some work to do. Okay, hey, there's,
0: there's so many... There's, we're dealing with 100 years. There's going to be some years where we haven't seen... We've seen hardly any.
1: That's that's exactly it. But, you know, that's what's fun about this. You know, it's a chance for us to learn what what we haven't seen, what gaps there are in our movie-watching, you know, knowledge. And, and, you know, for the listeners to either discover some new films or to, you know, mock me for having not seen some really great films. (laughs) I'm okay with either. So
0: listeners out there, once you're done mocking, Mike, if you could also let us know what films in 1955 or any of the other years, which we haven't mentioned, but we, we should see, let us know, and then we'll spread the
1: word on that as well. Yes, as we're going to do right now, because we have a listener who wrote in with their top 10 list from 1997, which we did in our last episode. And this is a list from Leslie Simpson, who is actually an actor and has appeared in films such as Dog Soldiers, which is a favorite of both Phil and mine. And Leslie writes and says these are his approximate favorite films of 1997 As with us, the (laughs) list can change at any time. And here's what Leslie has to say. These are in no particular order that I know of. Leslie, feel free to correct us if if that's not the case. They are The Castle, for me, the third greatest Aussie film after Wake and Fright and Mad Max 2. The Game, Fincher's underrated gem. That was on both of our lists. Good film. The Man Who Knew Too Little, a Bill Murray Corker that I go back to again and again.
0: I wish I put that on my list because I I forgot all about that film at the time.
1: There you go. See, we got our listeners schooling us up now, Phil. Uh, gross Point Blank, Popcorn, is his comment on that. Contact, slated at the time, but has grown in reputation over the years. I will say I liked Contact when it first came out, and it almost made my top ten list, but not quite.
0: Yeah, almost made mine as well because it's uh, yeah, good film, and there's some cracking cracking camera work in there. That, that's opening scene with the girl running down the hallway, and then you realize it's in a mirror. That's just yeah,
1: really good scene. Very good. Uh, Funny Games still think it's Haneke's greatest achievement. I have to confess I've only seen the remake, which was also directed by Haneke, but I haven't seen the original yet. I've seen the original. I haven't seen the remake. Oh, there you go. We're we're like chocolate and peanut butter, (laughs) (laughs) film. Wag the Dog, Life Imitates Art or Something. (laughs) <laughs> the devil's advocate if a film has the devil in it it's going to be on my to-do list chasing amy when kevin smith was hitting home runs at a canter couldn't agree with you more on that one yeah, leslie that was also on my list
0: yeah as was this
1: one Yep, austin powers international man of mystery i just don't think it would be fair to leave this one off a benchmark catchphrase movie as you know, Leslie, that was on my list as well. So clearly, Leslie uh, leans a little towards my sensibilities than yours, Phil. I'm just going to brag about that for a minute. Leslie, Leslie knows nothing, and he knows he knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hey, you said it, not me. So uh, <laughs> Leslie, if you need to write in and correct Phil on that opinion, uh, you, you take him to task, but, but not me. <laughs> so thank you for writing in, though. We appreciate it. We love to hear uh, top 10 lists from our listeners and any other feedback that you have. Phil, before we get into telling people how they can reach us, why don't you tell us the top 10 box office films of 1955?
0: Thank you very much. I will indeed. The box office then of 1955. There's a few of the films that we mentioned are on there. Uh, but the first one, though, is one we've all heard of. Number 10, The Fast and the Furious.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, Vin Diesel has aged really well. Yeah, it's just and it's just the camera. The color's
0: brilliant. No, this one was... Uh, might as well go in a little bit of detail on this one because Fast and the Furious, it was directed by... It was starred John Ireland and Dorothy Malone. It was written by Roger Corman. It basically, it's a guy who breaks out of jail, gets a car, kidnaps a woman, and they go driving and getting chased by the police. And as they're going along, they up falling in love. And if that sounds familiar, it was also the same plot that was used in The Chase, which starred Charlie Sheen and Christy Swanson.
1: Wow. Well, that's quite a difference in quality of films, I'm guessing.
0: Yes. But there you go. That was number 10 in 1955. Number nine was Rafifi. Mm-hmm. And then number eight was an Indian film, the first in the Apu trilogy called Patha Panchali.
1: Oh, I've, I've actually heard of that trilogy. Yeah, I've
0: heard of the trilogy. I've don't, I don't think I've seen any of it.
1: No, I haven't. Shocking, I know. <laughs>
0: number seven was Land of the Pharaohs. Mm-hmm. Number six, To Catch a Thief. Uh, excellent, of course. Num- number five, The Tall Men. Right, right. Uh, number four, The Seven-Year Itch. Of course. Number three was Galapagos number two was mr roberts so i was almost there and number one there you go number one was lady in the trump
1: oh well, there you go i'm surprised yeah. guys and dolls wasn't even in the top 10 actually i thought no, it was a bigger hit no. than that but i guess it was maybe it was just outside it
0: yeah i think it was just 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 a touch outside
1: yeah we're just you know what? i'm just gonna go with that i don't really care <laughs> in my mind it will always be number 11 uh, 10.5 there we go 10.5 exactly <laughs> Well, there you go. That wraps up 1955, and I think that's going to just about wrap us up as well. Phil, why don't you tell people where they can reach out to us and share all their opinions on everything we've talked about tonight?
0: Okay. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at after underscore the ending and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash after the ending podcast. And Mike, do you want to tell them the
1: email? Yeah, you can email us directly at, at net. That's V-E-R-I-Z-O-N, verizon.net. And as you probably know if you're listening to this, but just in case you don't, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on SoundCloud. And we have a few new ways to listen to us coming soon, which will be revealed in the coming weeks. And as we mentioned at the top of the episode, if you could do us the kind, kind favor of swinging over to iTunes and quickly leaving us a, a rating, preferably five stars, and a quick review, we would be deeply, deeply appreciative.
0: Most definitely. Go on. Come on, people. Do it. Do it. <laughs> you know do you it. want to. All do your it. friends are doing it. Do it. People people are doing it now. And you know those people. you you, the one listening now who just had a drink of a, a, a tasty beverage. Yeah. Go on there now and uh, leave a review. Five stars. You and the glasses, you and the glasses and the beard. <laughs> you know, there's at least one listener
1: going, what, me? How'd they know that I was, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's behind you. Don't
1: turn around. <laughs> All right. So, Phil, tell the listeners what we're going to be discussing on next week's show.
0: Next week's show, we will be looking at, we'll be doing our top 10 films of the year, 1917.
1: Yeah, we're going to go way, way back for this one because yeah, well, we're That doing... wasn't 1970. That was seventeen. Yes. 17. It's going to be a lot of silent films, uh, I'm guessing. But, you know, we thought it would be interesting. we we got to get into those early years sooner or later, so we thought, why wait? And uh, hopefully there will be some fun stuff to discover.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be
1: educational for everyone. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to put it, Phil.
0: So we'll be doing, after the endings, for The Three Amigos. That's Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short. And a little film called Inception.
1: (laughs) that's right we will we'll see if we can find some loud metallic grinding sound effects to yeah. pepper throughout the episode
0: yeah so Christopher Nolan so we're going to be talking about what happens after the the top stops spinning or, or does, does it, it. <laughs> does it or does it I think there'll be a lot of that in the uh, in the after the
1: ending yeah or will there uh... right right exactly this is our first Christopher Nolan film I'm, I'm excited about that actually yeah because he's got a lot one. of good ones that I think we can get into, so it'll be it's good to start with Inception because it's, it's definitely one of his most memorable, to say the least. Yeah, and the ending is always one people talk about. Exactly. So this will be, I think, sort of an iconic ending that we'll be discussing, and, and we'll see where it goes from there.
0: And for those of you uh, who just want to know a little secret, I didn't really like the film.
1: Ooh, could this be Phil's first controversial opinion of the week? I, I think it is, actually. I mean, yeah, I, think <laughs> I don't I think there's so, much yeah. suspense there. I think, I think that is. I think that's a film that most people really like. So, all right. Well, we'll get into discussing why in next week's episode. So make sure you tune in to hear Phil share his first controversial opinion of the week. And I didn't have any tonight, but I'm sure I'll be back with some next week. So oh, I'm sure it'll be, be loads. Fun. Should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. So before we get to our films, I just want to throw this out to the, to, to de, de, de. always got to start up with you, uh, you know with you threw that one out. <laughs> yep. Oh boy. All right.
0: Oh boy. Hold on. Is that you, Sam? What? He said, "Oh boy, is it Sam
1: Beckett?" Oh, geez, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I just quantum leaped into a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. What has he oh, got to do? Right. <laughs> I gotta uh, save the world from from people like me who make too many mistakes while they're podcasting. <laughs> That'd
0: be crazy. Yeah, after the ending was too precise, he knows too much. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so anyway, so Phil, let's let's move on to our movies then. What are we going to be discussing tonight? Today, Today tonight, what, let me do whatever again.
0: time zone you are in. <laughs> so okay, the Monster Squad. Why did that move? Oh, I think there's a.
1: Monster in here yeah. yeah, right. It's the Invisible Man. They left him out of <laughs> this film, but he's that in he's he's naked in, in here. Oh my god. <laughs> the. Uh, bleh, 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 bleh,
0: bleh. I don't think that monster was in it. The. Bleh, what? I don't think
1: the blip 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 monster in it. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. I think it's. I think that's. Uh, you know. Uh, clearly, we both had some. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to talk. I don't actually think. (laughs)
0: Joshua, already self-aware, gains respect for the human. I was going to say human (laughs) meatbags.
1: Joshua, already (laughs) self-aware. So much respect. So much respect he calls them meatbags. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so those are our endings for Top Gun, now 30 years older. If you have dissenting or agreeing opinions, what am I saying tonight? (laughs) and as once
0: uh, mm, eh, mm, mm, eh. it's like a song and when it comes to the after the endings we'll be doing ones for the three amigos <laughs> are you alright yeah I was doing the thing they do you know what they do the thing uh- <laughs>
1: I got to tell you, yeah. that doesn't really translate in life. Yeah, either. no, I thought that if I was doing it. I probably think I'm having a fit. I thought you were having a heart attack yeah. or, or choking on something.
0: There we go. So we'll be doing, three, we'll be doing the three me. Hang, hang on.
1: You, you, you. All right. That's great, Phil.
0: So, yeah, through the medium of mime, I will tell you what films we'll be doing. <laughs> Did you get that? Okay. I, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly which film.
0: Yeah.